You're listening to In Situ Science, where each week we get to meet a different scientist and find out about what they do and why it is they do it. This week, I'm joined by a science communicator, fellow podcaster, and real-life game show host, Tom Gordon. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, James. <laughs> I think you can't as a game show host. I've never right. been called that before. I've been called so many things, but not that. <laughs> so you started doing science outreach events with your STEM punk team that were quiz nights. What inspired you to, to start these events? Yeah, I blame Christy for that. Uh, so, uh, I, I have a, yeah, so I have a podcast called STEM Punk yep. with two other people, uh, two other science communicators. Yep. And it was last year in Science Week where we were all sitting down at uh, Australian Museum in the big expo thing they have there and we yep. just sat down and we said which you'd be very familiar with <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and we said let's do something together and we yep. came up with all these ideas and one of them was go let's go on a tour of new south wales and do science things and let's let's uh let's make a you know a, this and a that and let's make a show and all and then christy said well let's do a podcast yeah uh, i've always wanted to so i we jumped on it next day i think we had a website we had a facebook page oh, and great. just because i thought that was a great idea and if no one was going to do it if i wasn't going to do it no one else was so, um so so then uh, we did a couple of episodes and then there was an event at uh, at my work and christy was there and we sat down and had a bit of a chat about what's going on and she says oh you know the uh uh, the applications for a Sydney Science Festival events are closing next week. Mm-hmm. We should do something. I said, oh, okay, let's do something. Yeah. So I made it up on the spot and said, yeah, we're going to do a quiz night, kind of like uh, Spicks and Specs versus Rockwiz, but with science. <laughs> it um, didn't have that sort of vibe to it, actually. It was very Rockwizy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we stole ideas from them. The time. <laughs> so, you know, in Rockwiz, how they get a member of the audience to join the panel. Yeah. That's where that came from. Like, oh, they just stole that directly from there. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, even the way that the, the panel looks, so there's someone in the middle and there's two other people, the two other teams out the side, I mean, it's directly <laughs> from Spicks and Specs. That, yeah, was, yeah. that was what it was. Um, but we wanted to make it as interactive as we could, so we had audience participation, mm-hmm. we had prizes to give away because it was Science Week, and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was a lot of fun right, and so at an amazing venue. And you're a confident public speaker, obviously. You enjoy... Being the master of ceremonies, it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was really a lot of fun. We're going to do it again, of course. Yeah. Um, I don't know when, but we're going to do it again, and and we'll let um we'll let Shane or, or Christy have a go at, at being the <laughs> being host the this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's I just I, I didn't ask anyone. I didn't say, uh, well, should we really do this? I just said, well, okay, we're doing it, and then yeah. and then Christy and Shane didn't say no, so um. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and you can listen to them on the podcast yeah yeah, yeah. so they're they're called uh stem punk quiz or stem punk live I mm-hmm. remember what i called them so i should follow on from that topic with a very important question i think you've had a lot of time to think about what does stem mean to you Tom? Oh, i'm so glad you asked that James. <laughs> <laughs> so you're stealing you're stealing our, our questions it's good. <laughs> Just it's yeah sharing ideas. <laughs> we we every guest we have yeah. on Stempunk we ask them what does STEM mean to you yeah and the 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 responses are fascinating so I don't think we're any closer to a really good answer mm-hmm. but we're certainly getting some really great answers okay. and we're gonna we're gonna put all the answers together and make some sort of analysis of what people think STEM is <laughs> what what makes a good answer then to that I, d- I see I don't know so uh, one of my favorites was um, was Dr Carl when we interviewed him he said STEM is a way to not fool yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, uh, you know, tonight I have to go and give a presentation to a, a primary school about 
stem yeah and i was uh i was thinking about how i need to do that like it's probably good that i know what have an idea for myself what stem is and i yeah. came up with with um solving problems thinking critically something about environment and much much more <laughs> because solving problems starts with s thinking critically starts with t yeah. environment starts with e and m is much much more so that's that's stem and would that be your personal answer to the question? That that or? would be my personal answer to the question. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's combining combining the the sciences and critical thinking and uh, all of that sort of way of looking at the world to solve problems. In your line of work, it's not just about the practice of STEM; it's about communicating STEM. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we have this word that nobody really knows what it is. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, if we ask people what is STEM, they say, oh, it's science, technology, engineering, and maths. Well, yes, of course, that's what it's yeah. defined as. But what it means as a whole is, is this way of approaching the world, solving problems, mm -hmm. thinking about things. But a step back from that, it's like meta, which is what we do, which mm -hmm. is communicating that to people. And that includes communicating what the word actually means. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, uh, and we released a podcast yesterday talking about communicating science how do you communicate science like, mm -hmm. the best way to do it and the, the funny thing is it's not a science like no you don't you, there's not a formula for communicating science but uh but there are some good ideas mm -hmm. and you have to communicate science to different people in different ways mm -hmm. um i'm lucky because i get to talk about science to high school students and people uh, like university students and people who are engaged mm -hmm. already so it's it's an easy win it's like um talking to the you know the in crowd yeah they're gonna they're gonna like what i say because they're already in but if you start talking about um you know quantum mechanics to someone who is more of a um a homeopathy sympathizer for example it's not it's not going to work as well you've used a different tactic mm. uh, and that's that's the sort of thing that i want to know more about on that you're actually starting to research this uh you said it sounds communication is in science but Sounds like you're going to start getting some data on how to most effectively do it and what works and what doesn't. Yeah, sure. So, so one of the things I do at Sydney Uni is I run an outreach program for high school students. Mm -hmm. So they come into our lab and they see all the stuff that we have and, and we show them experiments in their syllabus um, from our perspective. We show them um, yeah, experiments and demonstrations and uh, our students talk to the, the high school students you know, some high school students don't have access to a cathode ray oscilloscope <laughs> or they don't have access to, the, you know, um, a superconductor. Mm. Um, some do, but some don't. And if some of them do, it might be broken or mm. the teacher doesn't know how to use it or it's already being used by another teacher at the time. There's, some, there's many reasons why teachers or students don't get hands on this stuff that they need to because it's in their syllabus. So we bring them into our lab and we show them around. And I see about a quarter of all the HSC physics students that, in New South Wales. Oh, okay. So two and a half thousand students <laughs> every year come yeah. through that lab. That's a lot of data points. Mm. So, um, so I, I'm literally doing experiments on students <laughs> where I'm asking them questions. You change one thing in, in the workshop, in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the worksheets or the way you deliver it or yeah. the, the, the process or the demonstration, and then you measure how they react to that. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's my experiments is I change workshops, change worksheets and then measure the students' mm. response. And so you're able to identify sort of totally different strategies that work in different situations or with different people. So at the moment, at the moment, no, because mm. I've only just started. Okay. <laughs> so what, what I've got at the moment is, I mean, my first, my first publishable result mm -hmm. was 
um, you can apply the the concept of inquiry based learning to an outreach program such mm-hmm. as this and, and we ask them things like you know did you work harder with this version or that version okay. uh, you know do you know what I mean by hypothesis you know and they they come away thinking or, or responding that they they get the point of what we're trying to do yeah which is to say inquiry works mm-hmm. and we can we can input inquiry into an outreach program like that. so the next the next experiment that I'm running right now is I'm manipulating a single experiment. So mm. in, in each workshop, we have five experiments that we run through in 20 minutes each. Yeah. So I'm manipulating one experiment to do with their syllabus mm-hmm. where I've changed one thing. And that thing is how they deal with the results. Yeah. So they do their experiment, which is very prescriptive experiment, step one, step two, step three, etc. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, we give them a spreadsheet with the results and we say, go away at home or in, in your class and tell me how... Um, how you can get the answer to some of the questions from your syllabus using this tool. Mm. And then at the end we say, did you get the answer easier or harder using that tool? Mm. Did you find the tool useful? You know, and what it does is it gets them to do the experiment in, 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 uh, in our lab and then go back and have a look at their results. And research from, you know, high profile educators has shown that if you can go back to your results and change your hypothesis or go back to your results and change what you think the answer will be, mm. then you're going to understand the science a lot better. Mm. So we're forcing them to go back to their results <laughs> as well as um, evaluate that with accepted results. Yeah. Well, so you're essentially getting them to be scientists. Yeah, yeah in a way, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're yeah. seeing that in practice. So your background is in physics, yep, specifically astrophysics. Mm-hmm. At what point then did you find that your uh, niche was communicating this rather than going on and being a physicist? <laughs> so that's you're, probably, you are obviously still a physicist. <laughs> it's, it's probably a multi-phase process. But yeah. I reckon the first phase was when I went to my lecturer in oh, would have been first or second year. Mm-hmm. This guy's down at A and U. His name's Paul Francis. I don't know if you know of Paul Francis. Uh, if you know people in physics know Paul Francis, he's the kind of guy who who uh, crazy scientist basically okay. <laughs> wears wears a, a very loud kind of galaxy vest. That kind uh, of guy. Yeah. yeah. Amazing, amazing though. Mm-hmm. I said to him, you know, I want to do, I want to be a research astronomer, and he said, you need three things: you need a PhD, mm-hmm. you need to be lucky, mm-hmm. and you need to be good. I wasn't any of those. <laughs> so I said, right, I'm going to choose something different. Um, so, uh, so I, I mean, I went, you know, after I graduated, there was a course that I saw called the Graduate Diploma in Science Communication, mm-hmm. which is the, the science circus that, oh, yeah, that yeah, Questacon yeah, run yeah. and ANU run. Mm-hmm. I applied for that. Yeah. Um, weirdly, I got selected for that. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, yeah, that was the thing that, that gave me a career, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the year that I did that was the first year that my job was uh, designed. Mm-hmm. So then, ten years later, I got I got my dream job. That was the job that you know you do this science communication course in order to get a job that I have. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's um that one year course, which is really cool. <laughs> and they're still they're still running that science circus. Yeah, course. it's it's now a master's, not a graduate diploma. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit more research heavy, mm-hmm. or a little bit more more concentration on things like evaluation of exhibitions. Oh, okay. So the structure of the course is you 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 evaluate an exhibition, you design an exhibition, and you do presentations to high or primary school mostly kids mm-hmm. all over the country. Yeah. So we did four tours around Australia for half the year. <laughs> you know you you know outback New South Wales, yeah. inland Queensland, WA, 
Um, must be an experience doing the very young kids outreach. I don't know, do you feel like you're a play school host? <laughs> no, if you feel um, it's some of the teachers that, you know, you go to a school in Deniliquin, whatever, mm-hmm. and the teachers there will come up to you and they're taking notes. Like mm-hmm. we're doing a presentation about liquid nitrogen or fire or yeah. balloons or whatever. It's just the concepts behind balloons. And they're taking notes because this is the only science lesson they get in a year. Wow. And that's pretty bad. Like, so yeah, then yeah. you feel like a celebrity, in fact. <laughs> in fact, we went to a school in Longreach and there was a football player that was there mm-hmm. at the, on the same day. And uh, we both walked out of, you know, our respective presentations at the same time. And we were mobbed by the kids, <laughs> not the football player. Uh, it rarely happens. Yeah, just, I know. Just... And, then, and you go down the street, you know, after a day of presentations in a school, um, to refill on cornflour because we're making ublex slime and refill on <laughs> balloons and there's none left because all the kids have gone straight to the shops to buy all of the balloons. Mm. Um, to have to have a hall full of kids shouting at you. Mm. Like I've never seen a kid beside themselves except mm. for when you pull a balloon out of your pocket. It's insane. It's so cool. Like there was this one kid who was shouting and screaming and shaking and that was not enough to get her excitement out. <laughs> You know, when she gets up in this little puddle yeah. on the floor, like she literally <laughs> wet herself with excitement. I mean, what do you what do you think then changes as kids get older? Why why do they lose that? I don't sheer know. Joy? I don't know. But I'm going to do a few episodes of of our podcast where <laughs> I ask Year Eight students what they think about science, yeah. and then Year Ten students what yeah. they think about science. Mm. So I'm going to ask the nerdy ones who are going to do science and the ones who aren't, mm. and then the, in Year Ten the ones who chose science and the ones who didn't. Yeah. Um, I want to know as well. Like mm. I don't know what happens. It's something in the brain that, that happens. I, don't, I was a pretty grumpy teenager. Maybe it's just that whole. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but, but, but you're right. Something happens between like they're you know around thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. It, mm. it switches, and then science becomes not the thing that's cool and dinosaurs and astronauts, you know, mm. and it becomes oh, that thing that you just have to do for forty minutes in the class. Mm. Um, or you know, when you leave school, it's that thing that you wish you did more of mm. at school, or it's the thing that you get your nerdy friend along to answer the question in the, in the trivia night you know that's yeah. that's what science is you and I know that science is very different to that yeah and that's why we do things like podcasts I reckon is to try and get that information out yeah um, it's kind of the whole idea that know, science is a really niche science is everything yeah it is the world around us it's the medium that we exist in yes exactly <laughs> it's like you know what is STEM uh, everything like it's, it's hard to answer <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. Um, where 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 did where do scientists do science? Oh, they kind of do it everywhere. <laughs> Who does it? Kind of everyone, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like I don't know. I sometimes find myself talking to people about sort of the careers we have and the jobs people do. And people sort of talk about getting jobs out in the real world. Yeah, yeah. Talking about your jobs outside of science in that way. I'm like, really? Is yeah. That, is that the real world? <laughs> You're sitting in an office talking about. And your man-made constructions that yeah, are yeah, yeah. economics and those sorts of things. That yeah, yeah. That's funny. Whereas <laughs> here we are as scientists, we get to go out into the field and do in the actual real world <laughs> and, and, and measure things and count things and make make predictions. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Mm, it reminds me of a... It was a Brian Cox quote. It just said, if you tell me you're not interested in science... You've misunderstood what I mean by the word science. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of summed it up nicely. Because you can't possibly not be interested in 
this sort of stuff. Yeah. You're just in denial. <laughs> I, really, I really like that. Yeah. Well, you can quote me on it. I'll, 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 I'll take credit. Yeah, I'll quote you. <laughs> in terms of your science in society, I'm going to put forward an idea. Sure. Science should not be open for political discussion. Discuss. Good. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm going to mirror back to you just to make sure I understand the question. <laughs> so does that, what you're saying is that we shouldn't have, politics shouldn't be involved in science. Is that right? Yes. So for example, if, you, if, I'm, if, I, need to, if I need to do research on, um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. <laughs> if I need to do research on the best way to, uh, traffic, best way to, to solve the traffic problem, mm-hmm. I don't want... The, the taxi lobby coming in and trying to convince me that they, is that what you mean like pretty much if there's empirical evidence supporting something different sides of politics shouldn't be able to yeah, argue sure. that or not they okay Phew, that's a good question so <laughs> I reckon I reckon initially I agree with you 100% yeah. the, the reason we do science is to to know more things. Yep. I mean, science comes from the word knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. So it's about knowledge. It's about finding stuff out. So to, to, to tell me that I can't find something out because of someone else's decision, and in politics it's normally about ideology, right? So mm-hmm. you're telling me I can't know something because of somebody's ideology. Mm-hmm. I disagree with that 100%. Yep. Having said that, I'm not going to do... Um, I would not think it's the best idea to do research on, uh, you know, the best, uh, you know, better weapons, mm. for example. Uh, that would be a political decision to say, we've done enough research on, on weapons. We've mm-hmm. done the ICBMs, whatever, you know, missiles. And uh, there's, there's lots of research to do there, mm. but really, should we? Mm. Um, I guess your question is, should we let politicians decide that? So obviously, this is a loaded question. Because you yourself have decided to move into politics. Yeah, well, I think the other way it should be, absolutely. So mm. science should be involved in politics, absolutely. Mm. I think um, uh, we should have more and more and more people who are at least aware of the scientific process mm. and, and thinking skills and strategies and all that sort of stuff yeah. to inform political decisions. Mm. So the other way, 100%. Mm. Um, I did, years ago, I did a count of all the people in federal politics who had any kind of science degree. And there was about five of them. Um, Greg Combay was one of them, who was a mining engineer. Mm-hmm. Kim Carr, who used to be a science teacher. I think that was about it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the others. But uh, Dennis Jensen is now... Uh, is he still in politics, Dennis Jensen? I'm the wrong person. He was, he, was, uh, he was a liberal <laughs> candidate, but also kind of a climate-denying mm. sympathist, sympathizer. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely need more critical thinking and and scientific uh, thought processes in politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, so it's no surprise I'm, uh, you know, I'm in a party called the Science Party. Mm-hmm. And and what we what we do is we try and apply the scientific method to decision-making. Yeah. So you'll see in, in, a, in politics, someone will make, make a law, and then if they're shown to be wrong, they won't change the law because they've decided that's their mm-hmm. that's an ideology, right? Yeah. So they, they stick with what they have said because that's what they said. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the science party, if we're going to make a, a policy about transport, we did this a couple of years ago. We were deciding, you know, the best way for public transport, the best uh, policies. And everyone was saying, light rail, light rail. And we mm-hmm. said, yes, light rail is good. But then you have a look at the numbers. Mm-hmm. It costs a lot more 
to build light rail than mm. it does to buy lots and lots of buses. Mm. So we changed our policy because mm. it's better for the environment, it's better for finance, it's better in lots and lots of different ways. There yeah. are pros and cons, but you stack them up and it turns out that buses are in some ways better. Mm. And, you know, that changed our policy. Mm. Whereas, yeah, policies at the moment are decided by an ide- ideology mostly mm. and then not changed based on evidence. I think a really good example... I'm sorry to get all political on you, but you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is the census, right? So Mm. the census happened and someone decided to make it online. A great decision, but they they couldn't make it um, work. Mm. And of all the evidence that said this is not going to work, they still went ahead with it because someone made that decision. Now, whether that was a financial decision or something like that, I don't know. Mm. But a scientific approach would have been to have a look at the evidence that's being presented to you, which, which is this is not going to work, mm. and then changed it. Mm. And that's something that politics is, as a pattern doesn't do, is change your mind. No. In fact, <laughs> in fact, if you do change your mind in politics, it's called a backflip. Yeah. Right? I would be, I would, I'd love it when, uh, you know, my local member recently changed his mind on single-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. And everyone said, oh, it's a backflip. You know, it's not. It's actually accepting public opinion mm-hmm. or, or evidence mm-hmm. or rational thought yeah. and changing your mind based on the evidence you have. That's what we do as scientists. There's that Edwin Hubble quote, with our five senses, we explore the, the world around us and we call the adventure science. Yeah. That's, what, that's what we should do. And, and we should change our minds based on the evidence that's given to us. I mean, do, I, don't, I don't look at the world and say it's flat because mm-hmm. evidence says it's not flat. Similarly, I shouldn't roll out the census online knowing that it's not going to work. Mm. And they knew. They knew it's not going to work. Mm. And if they didn't know, they didn't ask the right questions. What's that? Is it like a pride thing? Not wanting to be told... I think it, things ineffectively. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's an ideology which I don't know maybe links to pride. Mm. But but they have their their principles which they stand by. Yeah. And if and if you make a call and then change your mind, you've changed your principles. Mm. It's it's different. Changing your mind and changing your principles are different. Mm. So in the science party, our principle is evidence. Right? Yeah. Show me show me some evidence and then and we'll make a decision about it. You know, right now in uh, what we're doing after the election, we've got a bit more time. We're going through each and every one of our policies and essentially after any claim that we make we put in square brackets citation needed right Mm. just like wikipedia and then we go and find the citation go and find find the reference that backs up our claim and if it doesn't we change it Mm. i mean have the science party been under any sort of criticism for changing the mind have they been accused of backflipping on things because of this uh we've been accused of a a lot of things but not (laughs) not about not about backflipping more about you forgot this bit of evidence Okay. Um, and in most cases, we've considered all of these bits of evidence that are presented to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more about yeah, you didn't think of this, so what do you what do you know? You mm-hmm. didn't think of you know thing Z. Yeah. You know when we have and we've considered it, and it's you know in our policy document or, mm-hmm. or something. But that's fine as as long as people can can get back to us and give us some input mm-hmm. and uh, get involved. Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. If people are coming onto our you know forums and Facebook and stuff and writing a comment about science to a political party we win like mm. that's a win that's one more person who has not gone onto a different party or worse has not gone onto any party's website mm. and made a comment mm. it's it's a long game politics is a long game yeah because you've got to be so sure mm. so sure of what you say yeah yeah but and, and again like that's it's very similar to a presentation at a conference a science mm. conference 
you don't get up and talk about your results without you being 100% certain what, what you mean. Yeah, what. but I mean, that's relatively easier because I'm just talking about a, a specific area. If you're putting forward policy, you've got to be talking about everything from you know, health to welfare to you know, public transport to finance. It's... But, but you're, still, you? <laughs> you're still only talking to a like a small group of people who understand that thing. So mm. if I make a policy about... Uh, you know, space travel mm-hmm. or, or space agency, which I have. Um, <laughs> people who are interested in, uh, you know, capital gains tax mm-hmm. aren't going to come and criticize me much mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. So same at a conference, if I'm talking about, well, I wouldn't, but you would talk about a, a orchid mantis. Mm-hmm. Only the people who know about orchid mantises will be there. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a bigger group of people, the people who know about orchid mantises will ask you about it. Yeah. yeah. So you're not going to get someone who's interested in, uh, you know, gravity waves yeah. coming to criticize you about your, your research. Mm. So can I ask you what your space policy is about? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, it's, it's essentially we need to have a space agency. Yep. And we need to join into the European Space, uh, space Agency. Mm-hmm. So there's a big group of countries that have joined into the, the big multinational European Space Agency and Australia has been asked or invited uh, four or five times by Mm. ESA to be a member state of ESA Mm -hmm. and we should because that means we get to collaborate with all the countries in um, uh, Europe to do space things Um, and the third part is is to think about infrastructure so space infrastructure. Mm. And that's a, that's a soft way of saying we should launch stuff from Australia. <laughs> um, so I, I like the idea of, you know, a, a launch facility mm-hmm. here in Australia. And it's not just that I like the, the idea, but it's, it's really smart yep. to be able to launch satellite because you can charge people a lot of money to mm. launch stuff from your facility. Mm. And there's only about four or five in, in the world. Um, some of them, you know, there's, there's not that many good places to go in the world, so they make boats that you land on. Like it's Elon Musk mm-hmm. has made a boat that his rocket lands on. Mm-hmm. Won't be long before he makes a boat where it launches from. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's the three parts, is to think about infrastructure, um, make Australian Space Agency that makes decisions and informs government, and also be a part of um, ESA. Mm-hmm. So the, the example we use is Canada. Canada have a space agency and they've joined with ESA as well and they've got a niche um, market in space which is robotics Mm -hmm. and they've just nailed it so anytime someone wants robots in space they go to Canada and out of that they get uh, a whole industry an entire industry plus all the support industry for the space industry Mm -hmm. lots of education lots of funding lots of innovation Um, and uh, people like Chris Hadfield come out of that Mm -hmm. and he is brilliant spokesperson for Canada, for space, for science, for technology. So we're having our own infrastructure and launching platforms, I think that would essentially give us more control over our own satellite infrastructure or... It would it would give us um, a skin in the game and mm-hmm. it would give us the opportunity to provide things that other people can't. Mm-hmm. For example, um, it's not a... It's not a the best choice, but you could have a launch facility at Woomera in South Australia. Mm -hmm. It's got the biggest range. Like you can launch something in Woomera and you're not going to hit anything until you get to Broome. Like that's a long way. Yeah. So there's just open space for you to do testing and Mm -hmm. to do launching and stuff. It's not the best place to get satellites into orbit, but you can do lots of tests there. Or you go up to uh, far north Queensland Mm -hmm. where there's 
ocean. So yeah. you can launch stuff and the only thing you're going to hit if it goes wrong is the ocean. Yeah. Um, but that's a much better place to launch from because it's closer to the equator. Yeah. So if you've got a really good launch facility, people will flock to you and give you money to, mm. to launch their satellites from your facility. But the biggest thing, like like I said, it's a soft way of saying launch facility. And what I mean is like infrastructure, and that includes research and includes things like radio astronomy, which mm. Australia is really good at. Um, remote sensing, which we're also really good at. We've got mm. a, lot of, a lot of remote to sense. And, uh, but yeah, the big one is an Australian space agency, mm. which sets up rules and regulations for space in Australia. Mm-hmm. If we don't do it, we're just going to be left behind. Mm. I've gone into my... Well, no, it's an interesting question because, like I said, Australia has quite a bit of infrastructure with radio telescopes and it's continuing with the square kilometre array. Mm -hmm. But there's been, I don't know, almost like a hesitation to send rockets up. Uh, Is there a a reason for that? Yeah, I think there are. So, So if you say, you know, launching rockets from Australia, instantly people think astronauts. Yeah. And, and it's, it's completely right to say that's a waste of money. Like, we're not going to build <laughs> rockets to send astronauts to space, Australian astronauts, astronauts to space. <laughs> Although that'd Is be a great name if we did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd be worth it just for that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that's a waste of money. We, you know, but if, if we're a part of ESA, then we don't need to do that because yeah. we can send Australian astronauts to Europe to launch. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not about launching astronauts to space. Or robots even, because America does that. Canada yep. does that. Um, but we can find a niche of things that we can launch in there, a niche of things that we get really, really good at so that the entire world, whenever they need something that's that niche thing, mm-hmm. they come to us. That's what I mean by infrastructure. Do you have any idea what that niche could there's be? A, there's a few things. So radio astronomy, research astronomy, um, yeah, remote sensing, like I said, uh, nanobots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's, a, that's a thing that's happening. Commercial space, mm-hmm. so launching uh, commercial satellites or assi- at least assisting launching mm-hmm. commercial satellites. Uh, there's lots and lots of things mm-hmm. that Australia could be very, very good at. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, number one on the list is radio astronomy. So I recently watched... The Martian. Mm. I've started reading the book. You did uh, it the wrong, wrong way around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of really sung out to me that some sort of... Essentially, the idea, Henry, that science fiction can do so much more for science awareness and an appreciation of science than you know, any research article I'm ever going to write. Mm-hmm. Am I right in, in thinking that that could be the case? So I reckon that's... It goes back to what we were talking about before, which is you communicate science differently to different people, mm. even differently to the same person. Mm. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get the same. Like with The Martian, it's a brilliant film, mm. uh, but it's like I'm on the edge of my seat half the time. Mm. I don't want to feel the same way as that when I'm reading a research paper. Mm. So you've got to communicate to me different ways depending on what what we're going to do. Mm. Um, but I certainly do want to go and watch. You know, science fiction movies like that because mm. it's a lot of fun. Presenting a graph at a conference is a different kind of fun. Or being in the audience of someone presenting at a conference yeah. is a di- different type of fun. Yeah. Um, so, so I think it's, it's a very good way of communicating science, but it's not the only way. We've got to do it many other ways. If you like The Martian, there's a movie that's coming out soon, I don't know when, called Seat 25. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. It's amazing. So apparently the, the setup is there's 25 people going to go to Mars mm-hmm. and they're auctioning off or raffling the, t- the 25th seat. Okay. So all the 24 people have been selected. They're scientists, engineers, 
teachers, whatever. Yeah. And the last seat is going to be anybody. Okay. You just put your name in the in the bag, and then any, and then they choose someone. Yeah. And uh, the f- the film is like her journey from being chosen to going. Like I don't think they actually go anywhere, but it's all about like she she didn't tell anyone. She didn't tell her friends and her family or her work. And all of a sudden she says, "Next week I'm going to Mars," and her her partner is like, "We've." we've got a relationship here like you're gonna leave and she goes yeah I'm gonna leave and like it, that's a, an amazing way of getting across a complicated yeah, science yeah. concept yeah it's not about you know F equals MA and it's not about results conclusion discussion it's about you know the, the decisions around it or mm. the life of a scientist who does science you know why do science that's yeah, yeah. that sort of thing so that's a really good cool way it's kind of like the Martian there's a personal story behind it the, the hard science is very good at telling us what we know about things the interpretation of that through fiction tells us how we feel about things yeah I think it's that was my take on message yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but having said that like if, if you watch um, was it back in the day CS, uh, NYPD or CSI or when that first started coming out mm. universities were struggling to keep up with the number of students that wanted to do forensics mm-hmm and there was a bit of science in that, but it was mostly incorrect. Um, but <laughs> but they just got excited about it. Yeah, and, awareness and, and lecture one of most of those forensics is okay. This is not like CSI. We can't just send this your fingerprints down to the fellows in the lab. To, mm. You know, it's not it's not like that. It's it's different. Mm. But but it certainly got people excited about it. Yeah, yeah. I know of a girl in ANU who's doing research on the Big Bang theory to see if that's getting people interested in science oh, and yeah. excited about science. <laughs> and it's a cool natural experiment. It's mm. just a show that happened. It's about nerdy science people. There's mm. lots of things wrong with that show. Um, but it's still a show that it's about science. It humanizes science in a way. <laughs> well, it also... Uh, it makes uh, apparently makes science sexist and, and uh, gender biased. Oh, really? if, you, if you watch the show, it's awful. Like, it, it's quite racist in sometimes, <laughs> extremely sexist all the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's you know, just said comments. Yeah, yeah. Lowest common denominator. Pe- people, people either love that show or hate that show, mm-hmm. and they hate it because either the science is wrong or they're not very nice people. Mm. Like, and it's it's stereotypes. They've, they've pigeonholed people. But mm. I love the show because as soon as someone thinks about Big Bang Theory, they've got an opinion about it. And if they've got an opinion about it, I've got a chance to talk to them about science. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Great. I love that. Well, we should probably wrap things up, I think. Um, Excellent. If people want to find out more about what you do, you're on... You can... Or you're on Stempunk. Stempunk, yeah, Stempunk. That's, our, that's our podcast. Mm. Uh, I think if you just type in Stempunk... And see what happens. <laughs> like Steampunk Podcast and Facebook and Twitter and All right. everything. We're on iTunes. Yep. Look for Steampunk. And you're on Twitter yourself? Yes, I am. Gordos. It's G-O-R-D-E-A-U-Z. Well, thanks so much for coming all the in, Tom. It's great right. having you. Thank you very much. <laughs> all right. If you want to listen to more in situ Science podcasts, you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on Twitter with the handle at InSituScience. I'm on Twitter with the handle at... Jam O'Hanlon. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>